0: Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. Hello, this is Amy Ellis, the Director of Quality and Value-Based Care at Northwest Medical Specialties. I will be interviewing a series of key opinion leaders about what is being done on the ground to transform patient care. Today, I am speaking with Jess Quiring, the Oncology, Navigation, and Outreach Manager at New Mexico Cancer Center. So, thank you so much, Jess, for uh, being willing to get on today and share a little bit about what you're doing at your practice.
1: Hi, Amy. Um, Yes, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Um,
0: Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your
1: role? So, I am a certified oncology patient navigator through the NCBC, or National Consortium for Breast Centers, and also with AON, the Academy of Oncology, Nurse, and Patient Navigators, I'm not a nurse navigator. I'm a lay navigator, but I have an educational background in epidemiology and staging. Through that work, um, I came into patient navigation, and I'm currently the navigation and outreach manager at New Mexico Cancer Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I also oversee our Gallup, New Mexico location.
0: Okay. Um, so you are saying that you're a certified navigator. um How difficult was that? Was that a long education or you know many, many hours? Is it uh the curriculum for that difficult to achieve
1: um yes actually um i I won't say which one, but one was definitely a bit harder than the other. um both of them required over a thousand hours of clinical time in the field working as a navigator under the direction of someone else, um, like a practicum kind of, and it took me, I think I was working in the field a couple of years before I was able to sit for the exam. Understanding the core competencies and having a matrix for studying was really important and I think key to passing both of the certifications.
0: And did you help um, build the navigation? Were you one of the original navigators at your practice and helped build that program?
1: Um, I'm actually the only navigator at our practice, and I was brought in, um, I before I was here full-time, I was working as a kind of a third-party contracting navigator, um, just basically helping with patient resources and access to local programs and national programs for patients. Um, who needed support, and, and our practice hired me on to develop a navigational program for them and develop clinical processes for the patient for psychosocial distress screening and just having a more robust patient support program here.
0: Wow, that's that's definitely um, big shoes to fill. Um, that actually that leads right into it. Um, how does your practice actually screen for depression and distress?
1: Um, we use the um, National Comprehensive Cancer Network Psychosocial Distress Screening Tool or the NCCN Psychosocial Distress Screening Tool and we it's modifiable for anyone can modify it um, and available on their website. And we modified it to our patient population needs. We actually modified it twice. We modified it once for our main clinic in Albuquerque just for the needs that come up more specifically here. And then we worked with the Native American community for about a year, modifying it to address our Native American psychosocial needs.
0: Wow, that's great. And so when you say modified, did you uh, are you talking like different languages or what type of
1: modifications? Sure. Well, what we did was change... I'll just say the second modification we did with our Native American um, distress screening tool took us to more changes in our primary screening tool in the Albuquerque Clinic. And that was we changed the voice of the screening tool from first person talking um, to the patient directly, like, for instance, saying, like, you, the patient, may experience this. We changed the wording to sometimes patients feel like this and made it more of a third person, so it's not so directed. Um, And that was very specific, because in the Native American culture, when you're speaking to them about things, um, people from that background, you don't want to speak things into fruition for them. So if you say, you feel like this, you're making it happen, instead of making it more reflective of, sometimes this happens to some people, and and they can self-identify whether that's them or not. We also changed words um, and used emojis instead of like the distress screening thermometer um, with a number scale of one to 10. We used facial emojis for how they may be feeling. And then, of course, the person who does the screening is trained um, in the cultural and background of Native Americans so that the way they describe the paper to the patient or the screening tool and how it's offered to the patient is is different.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. That's a lot of work. Great job
1: on that. Um, It was hard, but very good. It was fun to do. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, Was it difficult when you first started realizing that you wanted to do depression and distress screenings? um, Was it difficult to get those workflows in place?
1: I think anytime you do something that's gonna um, utilize um the clinical flow in general like more than one area of any clinic, it can get difficult and we did we wanted to comply with c o c accreditation regulations and also o c m screening regulations, so we needed to do the screenings and it's also in the best interest of your patients to see how they're doing and Involving all the different areas of the clinic is quite a process and bringing everyone together so that each area that is touched has a voice in how it impacts their area. And so that made for a longer conversation and um, taking time to implement it the right way. And we did have to make changes over several times and having people understand that that would be something that is a part of the process to continue to have it be a better flow.
0: I think that the staff by basically having the staff um, on board. I, I, you know, I talk to our practice leaders, and it's really hard to get anything in place when you're de- you you know you depend on the staff that are doing the work to do um, what they're being asked. But but really, if they don't have a say, then it's difficult for that to be successful. What other programs and resources do you have for patients?
1: We didn't have very many um, when I first came on board here, but we've built quite a robust program. Um, we use a lot of our community partnerships um, to keep our costs down, um, but also engage our patients in supportive care. We have yoga here. We have an art. Um, it's more of a workshop, not really a class. We have a partnership with a home care caregiving um, company that they have vacation management, meal preparation, home safety, even hygiene, things like that. Caregivers really like that. Um, We have several different support groups, uh, colorectal for women, a head and neck group for men, and a caregiver support group. We're just starting some oncology massage therapy in our infusion suite, so we have some certified oncology massage therapists who come in and do hand and foot massages um, for patients who can have that. What's more exciting this year for us is we're starting some robust patient support um, services at our Gallup Clinic, and that is where we have primarily Native American patients, and we have a professional who does healing touch and also some Native American healing. Wow, that's
0: amazing! Um, when you say community partnerships, what type of partnerships is that?
1: Well, as a, I'm not only am I the oncology patient navigation manager, but I'm also a community outreach manager. My position gives me the opportunity to develop relationships in the community with different healthcare partners who might support or help or service cancer patients, um, and through those relationships and partnerships or networking. Um, We invite them into our practice to help serve our patients, and in return, you know, we let them offer their services here or give their information here. Um, If a patient needs help with in-home services or they're interested in joining a yoga group or oftentimes we just have people who want to generously donate their time and expertise and they don't want anything in return.
0: That's great. I think that that's one thing that um, I don't hear a lot about when I'm talking to practices is having, I mean, we don't even have that at our practice, um, is an outreach manager. And that's crucial because we can't provide quality value patient-centered care if we are not talking to the other providers that our patients are seeing, right?
1: Absolutely. And I think uniquely to my role, and. I also work with our cancer council um, and work with a lot of different healthcare stakeholders across the state. And my being involved in that um, is a wonderful opportunity to make these connections and be able to speak across a broader audience to form those connections. Yeah, absolutely.
0: If a practice was trying to start a navigation program, because I know that there's, you know, clinical navigators and then non-clinical navigators. If they wanted to just start a non-clinical navigation programs, I mean, what, mm-hmm. what would your suggestion be for, like, where do they even start? Like, what kind of a person? Let's start with that. What kind of a person, um, <laughs> personality traits, what would make a good navigator?
1: I think definitely the person would need some sort, they need some medical training and background in oncology, whether the center decides to um, make that part of their development when they come into that role. Um, But I think that background and then working towards certification would be key because I think those certifications bring an expertise to in the role that's really, really required to have a more robust program and actual support and broader understanding of the patient issues. I don't think it's necessary to have just a nurse in the role as long as there is good clinical leadership over that position. Like I myself answer to our chief um, medical director for any clinical questions. Um, and then I answer to our COO for operational questions. Um, so I think having something in place where the person is has the right leadership to guide them to guide them. And leadership buy-in is important um, when you bring in a navigational role because it has the impact on the different areas of the clinic. And so you need that leadership to guide the other areas of the clinic to um buy into the program as well.
0: Yeah, do you find that cuz you're developing these really strong relationships with patients because they're telling you things, you know, they're telling you maybe they haven't eaten in four days because that, that kind of healthcare disparity or they're telling you maybe they don't have housing as that kind of navigation piece and trying to remove mm-hmm. those barriers. So you probably develop these really strong bonds. So do you find yourself um patients telling you maybe clinical symptoms and and what is your kind of what do you do, what's the first thing you do if someone's, you know, you're on the phone talking about housing and they say, oh yeah, I also have this rash that's starting. Um, you know, how do you steer away from that? Because we still, um, you know, I'm still training our navigators and we're, we still have those kind of conversations um, when those topics come up.
1: I think no matter who you're talking to in a clinic, when you're helping a patient, there's going to be a myriad of different things that could come up in the discussion, um, no matter what area you're in. So, for sure, symptom management or clinical questions come up all the time, almost in every single conversation. So, you need um, to be able to uh, train yourself to, that's the other thing about the certifications and having a good educational knowledge. Um, is knowing the boundaries of your care, working to the top level that you can, and then doing a professional handoff where you need to, whether it be a professional behavioral health handoff to a licensed clinical therapist or to a nurse who can explain more clinical education or symptom management to the patient. That's something you have to practice daily and be very comfortable with doing without making the patient feel like you're not answering them or you don't want to. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I, I, um, you know, that's kind of one of those things where you – be, because I think to be a navigator, you really are someone who you take a task and you see it all the way through. So I, I can imagine just that personality that that fits really well in that. Um, maybe it's difficult for doing that handoff because you kind of feel like you're passing the patient off, but you really are just trying to use all of your team members at the top of their scope, right?
1: Exactly. And I think you have to have a confidence in yourself and when you do the handoff that You know, you are some, navigators are people who see tasks all the way through to the end and try to check every single box you possibly can for the patient, whatever that need is, and just knowing that that handoff is part of checking that box, just because you didn't offer the information yourself, you got them to someone very capable and more appropriate to answer that question for them. Yeah.
0: So you said, you know, the navigator needs to have strong leadership, they need to have kind of that follow-through on tasks, probably self-motivated. What other tips would you give practices, um, just any tips, to, you know, really start scratching the surface and developing a navigation program? Um,
1: I think be open to the different conversations that will come up from starting any kind of new program. That there can you know when you start new programs in a in a center and especially a cancer center it can seem the task can seem daunting, but you bringing each department into the conversation and understanding the impact of each area can really make the task of starting a navigational program um easier than it may seem um, like more information is better so that you can start off on a good foot in all the different areas because. The navigators, um, the people who are doing the navigating of the patient, have to work with every single area of the clinic to help that patient. So starting off on the right foot is key. And you know, in talking about the um, traits of a navigator, definitely it needs to be someone who's not afraid um, to step in and um, be confident in their role. Uh, that's definitely important. And... I think just having repeated conversations about how the systems are working or what needs to be changed and having an understanding that there will be changes, even though everybody's agreed on something in the beginning, that it might not work for every area, so you might have to change it.
0: I love that. I love that you added that because I think that's so important. You know, value-based care is a culture, and you want to have everyone on board, but, because we're trying to move towards patient centered care, we're constantly changing i mean a workflow that you were doing last week we might have to change this week because we realized or you know something different or we got different data or we got different patient feedback or provider feedback or um you know timing feedback. and I think that that is just such important feedback for people to hear is that. Um having that change, that change agent or people who can really evolve um, with the patient care, I think is is so important.
1: I absolutely. I agree with the the change is constant in the healthcare field and it's constant on so many levels. And change is sometimes hard for people, even though it can be good change, and taking the right approach. Um, You don't kind of want to be a bull in the China cabinet about it, but not afraid to take the tasks on and feel confident in what you're taking on. Um, If you're not confident in what you're doing and you're building a program, then it's not going to be really successful because then people don't have the confidence that you know what you're doing. So.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that sounds great. And I think that, you know, from the sounds of it, and I know we've talked before, um, the things that you're doing down there in New Mexico, I think I, I was so excited to have this conversation with you and share some of the work that you're doing um, to the, with the oncology community because I think that you are definitely leading the way in this space and, and are doing really great things. And I just want to thank you so much for taking the time. I know that um, you probably do the workload of about four people, it sounds like. So the fact that I got you away um, long enough to do this call, um, I just want to thank
1: Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Amy, for this opportunity and sharing our program, and um, I appreciate it. It's an honor to talk with you.
0: I just want to thank you again for listening today, and to get in touch with the American Journal of Managed Care, you can email them at info at... AJMC.com or follow the journal on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate it.